Yet we persevere, nonetheless, through the beer, the, no, the beer market. <laughs> Bankless Nation, it is the last week of May. David, what time is it? It's the Friday Bankless weekly roll-up time, Ryan, where we cover the entire news uh, in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, yet we persevere, nonetheless, through the beer, the, no, the beer market. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say bear market, but then I remembered it's actually a build market. Uh, and it's, it'll always will be a build market. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, we're, we're persevering, right? <laughs> <laughs> what a great intro, David. <laughs> Guys, we come out with these every Friday. This is the fastest way to get your fix in crypto, get your ingestion on what's going on in the markets, the releases, the news, the price action. We cover it all here. Remember, grab your morning coffee and enjoy this with us because it comes out every Friday morning. David, we got some hot topics this week. What are we going to cover? Yeah, some stuff happened this week, Ryan, uh, and we're, we're going to talk about it because that's what we do every Friday. Uh, the Optimism token is live and trading, and that's what gets everyone super excited. So, of course, is what we're going to talk about. Did you get your OP tokens? Did you get your OP tokens, Ryan? I did. Uh, yeah. As many as I could find. I'm still scouring wallets. <laughs> I, like, still, I still have a couple extra wallets to check. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so we got the metrics uh, comparable to the uni airdrop in size. So we're going to compare the Optimism airdrop to previous airdrops, as well as some other airdrops that have come hot on the heels of Optimism. So there's not only the Optimism token airdrop to check. There's another one, which we're going to talk about. After that, uh, after we get done having riding the highs of the Optimism token, we're going to ride some lows of a former OpenSea uh, employee who got arrested for insider trading. This is the same story that came out like months and months and months ago, but this individual actually got arrested uh, and faces up to a maximum of 20 years in jail, which is ridiculous. Uh, yeah, what's your, what's your quick take on that one, Ryan? Uh, well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease my take, uh, okay? So you'll have mm -hmm. to listen to my take midway through the roll-up <laughs> to hear what I think about this issue. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not, no spoilies. All right, David? No We're also going to talk about the, uh, the merge update. Are we mm -hmm. there yet? Mm -hmm. Is everyone in the backseat of the car that Justin Drake and Vitalik are driving asking, are we there yet, guys? When are we going to get the merge? <laughs> Is it coming in August? Is it coming in September? We're going to talk about that too. Uh, also, Kanye West doing some trademark stuff with NFTs. Kanye West so has entered the chat. <laughs> Yeah, he's coming. Uh, as always, make sure you like or subscribe to this. Of course, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe. Hit that like button. If you're listening on the podcast, thank you for doing that as well. Rate and review. Don't forget to do that, whether it's Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave those rates, ratings, and reviews. Ideally, like five stars, you know, yeah. as, as high as you want to get bankless. But I feel like, you know, we put these on every Friday, so we deserve something. We deserve at least above four. <laughs> at least above four. There's only one option above four. <laughs> uh, there you go. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, before we get in, wanted to tell you a little bit about our friends at MetaMask. Of course, everybody uses the MetaMask wallet. I use this on the day. On the a daily basis, right? Just used it to claim my OP airdrop tokens. Mm -hmm. But did you know, David, this is a button I hadn't seen very often in uh, MetaMask just because I'm doing other things, but there's a big blue buy button yeah. in the middle of MetaMask where uh, you can actually refill your wallet with mm -hmm. ETH, with any crypto asset you so desire. It's a much faster way to get crypto directly into your MetaMask wallet because you don't have to do the thing where you got to connect your bank account to an exchange right. like Coinbase and then yeah. transfer all of that back to MetaMask. That's like a three, four step process. Mm -hmm. And it gets really costly once you, you know, go the ACH transfer, 
uh, it takes days, and then you like do the the Coinbase exchange, and then by the time you're MetaMask, like you didn't even know why you wanted the ETH in the wallet in the first place. <laughs> so this is a handy buy button. I'm gonna click this here. You can use Transact, you can use MoonPay, you can use Wire. I'm told this also works in mobile. I have not used it. Mm -hmm. but look mm -hmm. at this, David. Put in your Apple credit pay. card, put in yeah. your Apple Pay, put in your Google Pay, and uh, just get your ETH right embedded in MetaMask. And I actually use this a lot when I want when I just need some gas, uh, especially for like claiming airdrops on old wallets that I haven't touched in years. But like I got to go claim an airdrop and I need to get gas into that wallet, but I don't want to dox my wallet. Uh, so this is actually when I use this. I also use Apple Pay to get that 2% cash back on your ETH buy, which is nice. You know, what's crazy, David, is I've, I haven't even noticed that button, which is probably yeah. why MetaMask wants us to spread awareness <laughs> yeah. that the buy button exists. Super handy mm -hmm. for wallets, old wallets, reclaiming airdrops. Uh, you don't have any ETH, and and yet you need like you know twenty dollars worth of ETH in order to make that claim. So. Uh, one click buy in MetaMask. Of course, you can navigate to MetaMask at bankless.cc slash buy, download the MetaMask app and use that buy button next time you need some ETH in your wallet. David, let's get to markets, man. What's Bitcoin price telling us? Bitcoin up just a smidge, up 2% on the week, started the week just below 30,000 and is ending the week just above 30,000. So 29,500 ending at 30,270. Sweet. Okay. Anything about any but anything above thirty k? I'm uh, I'm feeling okay. I guess ETH price. That, last time we this, said that 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 was forty k. I know. It's just <laughs> is it going to hold? And the last time I said it about ETH, it was above three k. I'm feeling good. I, I'm still not. I'm I'm not feeling good under three k. It's definitely a B market, right? Build market yeah. mm -hmm. uh, below. But what are we hitting on ETH this week? Are we up or down? Uh, ETH took a took a little bit of a hit this week. Started the week at nineteen fifty. Uh, ended the week at eighteen twenty. Uh, so sad ETH noises uh, this week. So down 6% versus Bitcoin's up 2% on the week. Um, some kind of funny counting just on the timing of these things. Uh, if it was like a one day shifted, it would be a different number. Um, so that's how I'm coping this week. Well, uh, how are you coping with this ratio? What are we yeah. looking at on the Keep week? It like, yeah, so like we got the 30,000 line for Bitcoin. We got the 2,000 line for, for ETH and we got the 0 0.06 line for the ETH BTC ratio, which is where we are at right now, 0 0.06033, keeping its head above water, um, allegedly. <laughs> this is, look, this is a great bear market uh, predictor, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Are, are we in, in a indicator. bull, are we in yeah. a bear? If if the indicator is, if uh, the ratio's down, if it's low, we're more likely to be in a bear market. If it's, mm -hmm. if it's high, we're more likely to be in a bull market. And look, this is off of May, we've certainly dropped Mm -hmm. uh, quite a bit from 0.076 range all the way down to 0.06. So I guess that tells us everything we need to know about the current market conditions, David. Sad ETH noises. Uh, total uh, crypto about, market cap is uh, flat at 1.3 trillion last week to 1.3 trillion this week. So overall, the market did nothing. Nothing. Uh, I'll take it. I mean, flat week is better than a down <laughs> yeah, week, right? I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, did you know this? FTX just surpassed Coinbase as the second biggest centralized crypto exchange. That just happened last month. Uh, FTX was always gunning for number two. Binance, of course, in first place. But now it's Binance, FTX, and Coinbase in third. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think this will last? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, FTX's trajectory has always been gaining more and more and more market share. And to be honest, I kind of don't really count Binance. Uh, maybe that's just like my Western United States citizen bias. Um, but like Binance is not going to like play nice with regulators in the long term. And so I kind of have discounted the value of Binance in my head. Like that's definitely probably bias. But uh, for all all the regulated onshore exchanges that are US regulator approved, now FTX is number one. Uh, and so that's kind of how I count things in my head. Yeah, you get, really got to hand it to SBF, right? I mean, yeah. he's built this business like over the past three years. I mean, it's not, it's not very old. FTX right. is not very old at all. And here it's taking the number two s slot from Coinbase. I mean, look at that. Uh, look at that chart, feet. like going from July 2019, that blue line just going up, yep. up, 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 up. That's crazy. Yeah, look at this market share of legitimate volume spot exchange. So, <laughs> uh, so definitely I'm not, have to the, count I'm not the, I'm not the only one with this stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, how about this next yeah, thing? Wait, this also, is, uh, yeah, for the record, they did not have Binance. Uh, they only had Binance US in there. Uh, they did not have actual Binance in there. Uh, and so it looks like the block shares my opinion as to <laughs> the illegitimacy of Binance. <laughs> let's see. The dominant player in the market is still Binance by far, which is 64%, mm -hmm. followed by FTX 10% and Coinbase 9%. Look at how dominant Binance is. 64%. Yeah, that has got to be wash trading, right? I don't. I, look, man, Binance is a juggernaut outside of the US. Like, it is mm -hmm. absolutely massive. And uh, so, I mean, I discount some of this as, as maybe watch trade or, you know, something different, but like not all of it. Binance is definitely a, a juggernaut in the space hmm. uh, and expanding everywhere, too. Hmm. Um, Coin, uh, excuse me, Gemini, another exchange. I guess they would come in number like, would they come in number four, number five, something to that effect? Gemini, uh, light blue. Uh, that is. Yeah, I think that's third. The Winklevoss twins, Gemini, they are laying off 10 percent of staff right now. And the headline is, to prepare for crypto winter. Here's the quote on Gemini's blog. The crypto revolution is well underway and its impact will continue to be profound, the Winklevoss brothers wrote, but its trajectory has been anything but gradual or predictable. These are seasoned vets who've been through a few bear markets in crypto, and they're getting ahead of this by actually cutting some of their staff now. What do you, what do you make of this, David? Yeah, so um, Gemini is a very like saturated company, right? It's been around, uh, and so it's not like any of these like newer projects that I still have a ton of growth potential. Uh, so it makes more sense for it its staffing to like follow the whims of the market, right? Just because like it's already hit like its saturation point. So when the bear market does come, that there does have to be cutbacks. Um, I mean, it, there should be cutbacks all the time. Like we got to cut out the fluff of of all companies. So I mean, only ten percent uh, in comparison to twenty eighteen is a big improvement. Yeah, uh, I, I do think we are seeing some belt tightening in specific mm -hmm. areas in crypto. Certainly, there's a ton of hiring still happening, but in other locations, we're starting to see belt tightening. Yeah, newer stuff. And, uh, hiring yeah, and newer stuff, layoffs exactly. and newer stuff. Uh, we've got a lot more to cover, guys. Coming up next, we're going to talk about that optimism airdrop. It feels like that airdrop is kicking, kicking off airdrop summer. Uh, mm -hmm. which is uh, happening now. Also, the OpenSea Insider trading story. I want to cover that. Does the crime fit the punishment? It's the big question in our mind. We're going to get to both of those stories, but before we do, we want to talk about the sponsors that made this episode possible. And we're back, and also diving into Optimism Airdrop Summer 
People got their tokens. Ryan, you're showing an address. Banked.eth got 827 Optimism tokens for being a donator to Gitcoin grants on layer one and also a DAO voter. So good job, Ryan. Uh, congrats on your tokens. Uh, so uh, the Optimism token is launched with a total supply of 4.3 billion tokens, inflating at 2% a year. Uh, and the airdrop of 215 total million tokens went to almost a quarter million addresses, 248,699 addresses. For comparison, Ryan, Uniswap was just 2,000 more addresses larger, eligible addresses larger than Optimism, coming in at 251,500. That uh, is fantastic. That is great distribution, right? Yes. To get half a million ETH addresses in this mm -hmm. thing. It's just like, you know, second in size to, to Uniswap and from a distribution perspective. Yeah, and so people who checked their addresses a couple weeks ago might notice that they actually got more than they uh, were previously quoted because Optimism went through the whole airdrop, uh, or excuse me, the airdrop farming. They scalped the farmers. So like, oh, they identified all the farmers just like Hot they Protocol did. Them. They pruned them. Uh, and so then they redistributed what was uh, going to be given to the farmers to the rest of the community, which just makes sense. You got to reward the actual true humans, not the farmers. Uh, and so uh, as of right now, 62% of all OP tokens have been claimed with 120,000 addresses uh, having claimed. Uh, okay. This happened in the last like day, right? In the last 24 hours from the time of recording, 120,000 addresses, not necessarily people, but like probably 100,000 people, give Which or take. These are bank accounts, yeah. Definitely right. uh, have, they've claimed tokens. So like the yeah. participation rate is crazy. Uh, and so if we wanted to compare the, the claiming of Optimism versus Uniswap, Uniswap has had 90% of all addresses that were eligible claimed the Uniswap airdrop. So 10% were like lost to history, probably. Uh, and so if Optimism uh, were to reach 90%, that would be 223,000 airdrop claimers. Right now we are at 120,000, so we have a lot to go. But where Uniswap beat Optimism by 200 or 2,000 eligible addresses, Optimism still has room to be the largest airdrop by how many actual people claimed the token. Uh, I, so that's a good number I'm going to be watching moving forward. Do you know what's awesome about this is not only claiming the token, you're also like claiming it on Optimism. You're also yes. claiming it on a layer two. Right. And this reminds me, you know how we always talk about like, you know, going out west and, and, and mm. settling and finding new lands and new opportunity, you know, like... Um, in, in the West, in some of the, the New Horizons in the U.S., they used to just give out parcels of land right. to individuals to settle there, right? It's like, mm -hmm. it's the frontier. No one wants to live here. It's going to be a rough life. Like, and But here's some land to make it worth your while. Here's why you should move from the East Coast and settle into this new land. And that's what's happening with these Layer 2s. It's essentially, you're getting free property uh, if, you, if you settle. If you move from the Ethereum mainnet, Manhattan, and you cross the bridge and uh, you, you settle on the other side, they're giving you free voting rights, responsibility tokens in the form of OP in order to mm -hmm. settle here. And the, the OP tokens have some value. We should note that. What is OP trading at right now? And what is the uh, fully diluted market cap? Yeah, at the time of recording, it's at $1.57. Uh, yesterday, it peaked at $2.20 at the height of the mania, also dumped down below $0.60. Cents, so we're still in price discovery mode, ranging somewhere between $0.60 cents and $2.20, or $2 currently at $1.57. Fully diluted valuation, if you multiply the price by the total number of uh, four, uh, four point something billion tokens, the total supply of Optimism tokens, here's a trivia fact for you, is 2 to the power of 32. 
That's the total supply. Uh, wow. And uh, uh, I guess I can actually just read that out since it's on the screen. The total supply is 4.294 billion tokens coming in at a fully diluted valuation of 6.7 billion dollars. So $6.7 billion just got just, just created out of thin hair. Uh, and comparing, comparing that to Matic, I think Matic is somewhere in the same ballpark. I think Matic was like, actually, can you look up the Matic tokens? Uh, Matic, yeah, uh, well, we're here. Market Why cap? not? Yeah. Matic market cap, $6.8 billion. Right. Oh, excuse me. That's total luck value. $6.1 billion. Uh, so optimism ah. is higher than Polygon, which is nuts. Wow. Which is nuts because like, okay, to Polygon's credit, they have done an insane amount of just like adoption and onboarding and like business development. So like people are pricing in a lot of optimism <laughs> into the optimism market cap. That is true. Uh, but, now I will say there's a lot more supply, circulating supply yes. out in the market for Matic uh, and yes. Polygon versus uh, optimism. The circulating mm -hmm. supply is still very small at this right. point. Right. Um, and part of that story is because there are many, many more airdrops uh for optimism coming uh that's a part of this conversation but yeah this is just airdrop number one uh airdrops two and three and n are on the horizon it's uh, super exciting man the, the claim process by the way was so easy i did this with a, a couple of wallets <laughs> you're only saying it's an easy claiming process because you didn't try and claim it literally at the same exact time as everyone else there was an actual <laughs> yeah. a bunch of drama uh with uh, the clogging of not the optimism network but the rpc endpoint which is a new place to get clogged we'll talk about that a little bit um but optimism released an airdrop recap thread which we will we'll go through because it's got some cool stats and some cool metrics they say yesterday was an absolute whirl whirlwind it wasn't without the hiccups that's reference to the rpc thing um, um, but to much excitement, OP was born. We'll have an extensive retro on the drop day next week. Meaning, Meanwhile, we uh, want to share some stats coming out of the launch. With over 50% of drop one now claimed, let's dive in. Optimism hit a cup, uh, couple of m major high water marks yesterday. In terms of transaction count, hourly rate uh, peaked at 12 transactions per second, averaging about 10 transactions per second, matching Ethereum while consuming less than 5% of Ethereum's gas. So hey. Ethereum's level of scale which uh, wasn't like, it didn't even come close to completely congesting optimism while consuming less than 5% of Ethereum. Uh, uh, hourly rate peaked at 12 transactions per second, but spiked to 22 transactions per second. So people were claiming optimism tokens at a rate of 22 transactions per second, plus doing other things like basic Uniswap trades. Okay, here's where they like the drama came in, Ryan. Remote uh, procedure calls, RPCs, hit an all-time high of 20,000 pings per second. Uh, and so uh, they, they write, simply put, these are requests to read network data. Uh, and this chart shows our free community endpoint. This includes the, not just the claims, but Uniswap reads, bridging on hop. Basically, anytime, if you've ever loaded up like the Optimism RPC endpoint into your MetaMask and then use the actual official like Optimism link, which you probably did, it's in there by default, you're using like the Optimism sponsor, like, um, supported RPC endpoint. You can- And like, that just means a whole bunch of servers out there, whether right, it's uh, right. hosted by Infura infrastructure mm -hmm. provided or hosted right. by Alchemy. These, right. these are servers that are for reading kind of mm -hmm. the archival data, the history of the right. of, of optimism. So that's what powers all of the user interfaces, right? And right. so you, you can right. set that up in MetaMask and you're saying the mm -hmm. default, the Optimus, uh, optimism right. default RPC endpoint, the one that they sponsor was having some mm -hmm. trouble keeping up, right? Right, exactly. And so they, they just like, they run their own server or uh, endpoint to Alchemy. Uh, and people were trying to, so whenever you like load up your MetaMask into a website that is connected to the optimism like data, and it needs to 
collect optimism data to feed you, some of that data would be like, do you have an airdrop to claim is like some of the data that is relevant here. Or just like a, a pinging Uniswap on our optimism for what is the price of something. Like all these things read the optimism chain. That's what got clogged. And that is Web2, Ryan, which is crazy. And so all <laughs> the DGENs who wanted to claim their optimism tokens broke Web2. Uh, and so like, we were talking to Jing about the details on this so we could get this right for the roll-up. And Jing gives us this funny story. She w- uh, where, where she was working at the time where the, the Optimism team was working happens to be uh, like in the same building as Alchemy. And so she like, she ran downstairs to the Alchemy offices and like knocked on, like hammered on the door and was like, hi, uh, this is, we're, I'm from Optimism. We're releasing a token today and we need t- uh, 10,000 F cups. And then apparently the alchemy team was like F cups. What the what the hell are F cups? <laughs> <laughs> and then she she was what she what, what she was saying was actually F CPUs. CPUs, yeah. <laughs> but but Carl Flourish is apparently dyslexic, and so he told Jing, "We need ten thousand F cups." So Jing goes running to the alchemy like offices and like knocks on the door. He's like, "We need ten thousand, a hundred thousand F cups. We need a hundred thousand F cups." And alchemy is like, "What the hell is going on?" That's Anyways, awesome. as soon as alchemy figured it out, they they spun up the nodes and, and that was all fixed. Uh, and so like cause people. People cause a bunch of drama. Be like, oh, I can't get my tokens. Uh, like all the token claimers were clamoring as they as they do. Uh, but once that once the extra servers from uh, Alchemy were spun up, everything was fine and everyone could claim their tokens. Yeah, it's important to note. Like obviously, Optimism did not go down. None of the smart contracts yeah. actually went down. There was the ability to claim tokens if you knew how to do it outside of the user interfaces. Um, it was just the kind of the the web two infrastructure dependency of like serving the data up the archival historical data up right. that's the piece that needed some additional juice and some mm-hmm. additional servers and if you knew a different rpc endpoint you could right. still claim as right. well um it's it sounds like um well that's cool i mean i i i got uh, as i said a few of these but i'm still on the hunt for more did you mm-hmm. do your claiming yet david I did my claiming. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, and also my delegating. Uh, I delegated one. I have two two addresses that I claimed optimism. One I delegated to David Michal. Uh, the other one I delegated to Polynaya. Uh, here's a Anthony Cezano tweet saying, pretty cool to see optimism coming in fifth place for the amount of ETH burned on layer one today. So... This is what happens when you get a token. All of a sudden, you just get a bunch of economic activity. Optimism yesterday burned 102 Ether. Uh, and so putting it ahead of USDC um, and Uniswap V2, not ahead of Uniswap V3. So it goes OpenSea, basic ETH transfers, Uniswap V3, Tether, and then Optimism. The Optimism Layer 2, uh, burning the f- fifth place for the amount of ETH burned. Uh, and, and then so in this seventh is- place is Thick Friends. The NFT, <laughs> my, my favorite NFT. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, like, I was actually I went to some Dune analytics dashboards uh, just to see some of the activity that was going on on Optimism. Uh, and so, I put that into a tweet. Uh, when you pull this up, Ryan, find find the airdrop. <laughs> Point wow. to it on the screen where you think the airdrop happened. <laughs> oh my God! This is uh, transactions per day for mm-hmm. people on the podcast. Absolutely spiking on mm-hmm. May thirty first. All time highs. Uh, yeah, like tripling quadrupling something like this mm-hmm. from from normal and uh definitely all-time highs and addresses per day look at that mm-hmm. rocket up mm-hmm. all the way up this is uh transacting addresses per day or active addresses per day that is the token effect on mm-hmm. layer two 
Yeah, uh, and the the number of first, I think if you scroll down, I, I put some numbers on the first time addresses that that we're transacting. Um, yeah, forty five thousand oh, wow, first time Optimism users yesterday, and this graph is really really cool. Where the black line is the order orders of magnitude times cheaper Optimism is, uh, and then the the transactions is the number of uh, number of transactions there are. That's uh, so and cool. So, yeah. Uh, so you did see like a little bit of congestion in uh, optimism, but like not not to like it didn't actually like saturate the whole entire blockchain. What happens is it's just like as it gets heavily, heavily used, uh, it becomes uh, l lesser orders of magnitude, more scaled than Ethereum. But again, that is before EIP 4844. That is before more like optimism, uh, optimizations come to optimism. Um, but but pretty cool. Yeah, people uh, don't know they still have the throttle on. Basically, they right. still have the governors, um, right. so it's it's not going as fast as it will be mm -hmm. going, as efficiently as it will be going. This is a, a tweet from Sassel, too. What's he saying here? Yeah, he goes, friendly reminder, the OP airdrop is going to generate a lot of fee revenue on the Optimism network with the proceeds from this fee revenue later being donated to retroactive public goods funding, turning DGENs into regens. This is the crypto economic future that we're all here, where we take our externalities and we funnel them into public goods. Uh, and so this is Optimism's retroactive public goods funding innovation. We did a show on this called the, layer two, the Trillion Dollar Layer 2 Opportunity Part 2, although Part 1 is definitely worth listening to. Something else people always talk about with um, layer twos is that this thought of it being parasitic to layer ones. So will all of the transaction fees kind of evaporate from layer ones? Will that migrate to layer twos? And layer twos essentially steal the economic activity and the chain mm -hmm. revenue for layer one. This is David Mihal kind of responding to that criticism. Optimism was responsible for 1.6% of all fee revenue paid on Ethereum yesterday. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars of ETH burned in just a couple hours. Airdrop didn't start until late in the day. Who says layer twos are parasitic to layer ones? Who says that indeed? I, I've never understood that argument. It's like saying the state of Texas or the state of California is parasitic to the United States. Of course it's not. Mm -mm. These are tax paying states. They're contributing to the GDP of the Ethereum economy. That's what a layer, uh, that's what a layer two essentially is. It's part of the United Rollups of Ethereum. So it's definitely not parasitic. We're starting to see that reflected with optimism, as you said, being number five on the burn leaderboard, the taxpayer leaderboard, mm -hmm. if you will, uh, happening just this week. And speaking of network effects, this is, a, or a token effects, excuse me, this is a Coinbase announcing that Coinbase will add support for optimism on the Optimism network only. Uh, and so uh, OP is trading on Coinbase, but in order to, if you want to trade your OP on Coinbase, you have to send your Optimism tokens on the Optimism network to Coinbase, meaning Coinbase now supports the Optimism network. Uh, so I think we can see a f uh, further integrations with Optimism over time, especially now that the tokens there and all the economic activity there, I expect USDC, DAI, other asset deposits straight onto the Optimism network. So. Uh, we've been clamoring that for that for a while. Uh, Coinbase finally delivered. Uh, and a part of this whole saga, part of this whole story comes with this uh, very controversial governance post uh, that's titled, uh, the Optimism Governance Post, titled, Users who sold the initial O Beach airdrop should become ineligible for all future airdrops. <laughs> uh, and so uh, this, the 0x John on the Optimism Forum post saying, I've seen a lot of wallets cl claim the OP airdrop and then set swap it straight to Uniswap. These accounts are not playing a constructive role in Optimism Governance. Uh, and so... He makes a claim that people that just uh, claimed and then dumped their OP token should be ineligible for future OP tokens. 
controversial post. There was a bunch of uh, a bunch of replies. He actually named some addresses here. Uh, none mm-hmm. of these are your addresses, are they, David? No, I did not. I did not claim thirty-two thousand OP uh, airdrop tokens. I, I also did not, did not sell. I mean, there's some airdrops that I sell like uh, mm-hmm. automatically. This to me was uh, is definitely a keeper. I mean, optimism has a bright future ahead of itself. But right. why, why was this so controversial? So what was the back and forth? It's like, well, it's a it's a conversation about like uh, how do people get rewarded because we're rewarding people. Uh, for their behavior and their activity and their uh, engagement on the optimism layer too. And so like if you reward people, but you also restrict them from selling, are you really rewarding them? Because like, you know, if you reward people, like they need to put food on the table at some point, right? They got to pay rent. But you gotta, they're, not, they're not restricting from selling. They're just saying next time around, yeah. you shouldn't, like it's, there's, you can it's, sell, it's, but like next time around, you won't get the statement reward. statement that says you can't sell because then we won't reward you in the future. I kind of, I don't hate it, honestly. It's like, mm-hmm. what, do you, what are you trying to incent towards? You're trying to incent towards the settlers of the community, those right. that will stick around and actually govern and actually contribute. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to incent to the people who are like just dumping and so i you know i don't know i i I definitely see the argument for this as well but what if they are taking the optimism token selling it for usdc and then they keep the usdc on optimism like then we're still having usdc liquidity on optimism so that's still useful i think that's something but it's less useful than like holding the op token actually contributing towards governance and so like there are degrees of uh utility Utility, to the network and what you want to reward and i'm not saying like Maybe this is advocating a complete like blacklisting of these accounts or something like that. Uh, I, I don't know that I'd go that far, but it is interesting thought process to say, hey, if you did sell versus if you if you, if you kept the the people who kept the people who are actually settling in this land should be rewarded more next time, you know, and there should be some disincentive towards just trying to flip uh, your tokens on on day one. Um, I understand both sides of the argument, I guess, but mm-hmm. I'm probably more in favor of like, let's try to incent the network towards um, governors and towards settlers and away from the, the traders and liquidity locusts and, and that sort of thing. So I can definitely understand this uh, governance post. Our friend Kobe did not, or at least I don't think he did. He he uh, responded with a, a governance post of his own. I think this is like a satire, maybe some tongue oh, this, in cheek. This is definitely satire. Okay, what was he saying here? <laughs> Uh, Kobe goes, I recently saw this proposal on the Optimism Forum that we should be restricting airdrops to people that sell. Uh, And so he goes and takes it even further, right? Uh, He goes, however, I'm unable to support this proposal in its current form. Uh, My lack of support for this proposal is not because I disagree with the sentiment. On the contrary, it's because this proposal does not go too far enough. So he (laughs) has created some extensions to the proposal. He goes, in addition to canceling the airdrops of OP sellers, we should also consider a wider net of eligibility for airdrops slashing uh and so he he talks about uh the ways to do that um i propose that we the optimism collective cancel the future airdrops for anyone that has sold any token in the last six (laughs) months these people have a a pattern of undesirable behavior and we can consider them potential future sellers i think i speak for everyone when i say do we really want people that might one day sell in the governance group no we don't uh so he says uh increase the severity of the punishment is canceling a future airdrop good enough i propose that the punishment for disrespecting optimism's governance price should be significantly harsher in order to dissuade 
future bad actors. Two ideas we have is we issue a debt token to the sellers and instruct local debt collecting agencies oh to collect God, the debt you? from these people. Uh, bonus is added revenue to optimism. And part B, we consider physical violence against the sellers. <laughs> Nobody will take us seriously unless we are willing to fight for what we believe in. There's precedent here. Most governance groups have an active army, uh, for example, the US government. I think this is a good area to get creative. So I request my fellow optimism collective governance groups colleagues to also suggest preferred punishment ideas. Uh, also cancel the airdrops of everyone that bought OP since the airdrop. Everyone that has bought the airdrop has also sinned because they have interacted with the sellers. This is bad enough. The OP tokens they hold are tainted sold tokens. Uh, basically, Kobe is just making a farce uh, out of the governance post saying, uh, you know, people are allowed to sell their tokens and not get punished for selling. Yeah, and then I also think the governance community is allowed to like respond to that and be like, but we want to incentive incent holders and settlers. And so mm -hmm. I, I I kind of see both sides of it. I, I do think Kobe's point is taken though, right? Like there's right. obviously a way to take this way too far and be right. super punitive on people who are just like, I mean, it's worth $6.8 billion, guys. Like that's mm -hmm. a lot of money. And uh, maybe you want to cash out some amount right. of that. Um, mm -hmm. I see both sides. I don't know if this, how, how this has uh, progressed in the community, but uh, it's definitely turned up some interesting debate back and forth on right. all of the future airdrops, because that's really what governance is, is determining. Now the existing token holders get to figure out what criteria future airdrops mm -hmm. should be, you know, how mm -hmm. they should be awarded and who should get them. Yeah, I think the interesting thing this is like this is how Kobe actually engages in governance. Like, yeah. I know it's satire, but this is a legitimate <laughs> governance it's post a, that Kobe it, is making a very legitimate point on. Right, and and it's discussion is creating a lot of discussion. So like the way that Kobe chooses to engage in governance is like pretty interesting. It's pretty clever. It's pretty cool. Well, I mean, what's exciting about this though, David, is this is the kickoff to uh, maybe airdrop summer, layer two summer, mm -hmm. right? It's like mm -hmm. I think there's going to be a ton of these sorts of. Uh, airdrops in the future mm -hmm. and it's not just layer twos it's also applications on top of the mm -hmm. layer twos i i is that where we're going this. next ryan i think that's where we're going next i want you to actually tell me about this david because mm -hmm. you put it in our uh, in our agenda to discuss mm -hmm. velodrome finance a velo airdrop is live what is velodrome finance what is that airdrop should i actually claim it and yeah. uh wh where can i do that sir yeah, so Velodrome is a liquidity protocol native to Optimism that airdropped their token in following of the Optimism token. Uh, and so they literally start their post saying, it's Optimism airdrop season, baby. This time, Velodrome Finance, an AMM inspired by uh, Solidly Finance, is launching its protocol with an airdrop of Velo tokens. So what is Velodrome Finance? Uh, it is actually a, a project that got spawned on Phantom. This is an old Andre-inspired project. Uh, it had like a bad start on Phantom, but the team has like fixed their problems and then taken their, the project to optimism. It's basically like a curve, except it's not uh, fixed to like for like assets. Uh, and so you can, it's more like Uniswap where you can trade Ether for USDC or volatile pairs. Uh, curve is also working on this, I think in curve V3. Uh, and so it's like curve in the sense that uh, it has that custom custom curve, AMM curve, uh, and then but it also has like VE tokens. So there is VE Velo. Uh, and so uh, they gave out their V Velo tokens to a bunch of people that did various different things. One of them being uh, people that are repeat optimism users, uh, people that uh, have curve, uh, curve wallets that have staked curve for the maximum amount of time, 1450 days, convex protocol lockers, VLCVX, uh, treasured DAO Genesis, 
Osis mine magic stakers, uh, Platypus protocol stakers, redacted cartel participants, and Eminence finance wallets, uh, and who got affected with with EMN. That that uh, there's a backstory there. Anyways, the whole point is that like right on the hot of the heels of the Optimism airdrop is the Velo airdrop for, for this application, brand new application coming to Optimism. And so this is uh, this is like the takeaway is that it's airdrop season. So like stop being depressed about the market, like pick your head up and go start exploring because like there's so many airdrops left, not only Optimism airdrop number two, number three, number N, but there's also the application tokens. And so if you want some of these airdrops, you gotta go be on the Optimism land because that's where the surface area is for all the airdrops. Guys, crypto pays you to learn about crypto. Crypto is mm -hmm. literally paying you to go bankless. All right, that's what's <laughs> happening. That, that first uh, criteria for the Velo airdrop, you listed addresses qualified as repeat optimism users. Are you a repeat optimism user that has some criteria? That's how you qualify for these airdrops. Uh, really cool to see. And I think this is a, a great way to kick off June, David, is, uh, is mm -hmm. to have this airdrop happening. Um, David Mihal also rolled out a really interesting site where we can start to see all of the taxes paid by the Layer 2 community. This is uh, layer2fees.info. And the question he not, poses- Not IRS taxes. L1, exactly. L1 security payments. L1 security taxes. I should, I should clarify. That's what I'm talking bankless speak here. How much are rollups paying for Ethereum security? And this goes through the one-day security costs uh, in one day, so I guess that would be the last 24-hour time period at the time of recording, Optimism paid almost $200,000 for Ethereum security costs. Arbitrism, Ar Ar Arbitrum paid $80,000, ZK Sync $11,000. Uh, a total of $313,000 was paid for Ethereum security. Again, what do blockchains like Ethereum sell? They sell block space. The new purchasers of block space are not actually going to be users on the Ethereum main chain. They're going to be layer twos. Here they are ramping up their block space purchasing. And that is how we are scaling the Ethereum economy. It's really exciting to see all this come together. Yeah, and if you scroll down, Ryan, you can see the chart. Uh, and if you go to a percent of total L1 fees, you can see at, we just recently hit an all-time high. That's L2 percentage, percent of a total L1 fees. Bam, right at the wow. very end, 3.2%, 3.1% at the peak. That is an all-time high for layer twos consuming layer one block space. And that number is up only, just like layer one gas is up only. Uh, because you're going to be competing. If you're still on layer one, you're competing with layer twos for block space, and you're going to lose that fight. So you might as well just capitulate and migrate to a layer two. The other thing is, you know, the eternal, uh, alternative layer ones are actually competing against these layer twos as well. And the killer advantage that layer twos have in addition to security is they don't actually have to mint their token to pay these mm -hmm. fees. They yeah. essentially get Ethereum's defense budget for free as part of it. And so if you wanna go uh, dip into um, the economic case for layer twos and the significance, the impact that has on ether and the Ethereum economy, go listen to that episode we, uh, David referenced earlier. That's the trillion dollar case for uh, layer twos. Is that what it's called, David? Something close to yeah. that. Trillion dollar case, uh, trillion dollar opportunity on layer twos. There you go. Something like that. It'll be <laughs> close <enough. laughs> It's got trillion in the name. <laughs> David, let's talk about this next thing. What is going on with this former OpenSea employee? I know we mentioned it in a roll up. This was months ago. Uh, mm -hmm. And the employee at the time got fired. OpenSea put out a statement. It was some sort of uh, an employee by the name of Nate Chastain, who I, I believe was a senior product 
um, manager at OpenSea, he was caught front running. He was caught front mm-hmm. running. This was a, a Twitter post. And now this has made its all of its way to the U.S. Attorney's office in the Southern District of New York. And they've put out, I guess you call this a press release. It's labeled <laughs> under press releases, but it's an indictment announcement that this Nate Chastain has been indicted and he is facing uh, charges. Um, what, what do you make of this, David? Yeah, so just to recap the story, uh, Nate Chastain, he had information about which NFTs were about to be featured on the front page of OpenSea. Uh, And so he would go buy these NFTs before they were featured on the front page of OpenSea. And then the price would like jump 2x, 4x, 5x, and then he would sell them. So he used that insider information to know which NFTs are about to be displayed on the the front page. Uh, And then he would front run retail that would just like buy the shiny thing on the front page. Uh, he collected uh, $67,000 for this activity. Wow. Uh, and people found out because, like, they just found, like, just saw him do The ledger's transparent, guys. Well, and he, he was kind of dumb about it and sent it, sent it to a wallet that owned his own CryptoPunk. Like, it might as well be called, like, NateChastain.eth. Uh, and so, like, people found out just by, like, watching the blockchain. So, like, kind of a dumb move. But also, what he is being charged with is, uh, I would call egregious uh in relation to $67,000 of like insider trading uh and so for he hasn't been charged with this he hasn't been sentenced to this but the what uh one count of wire fraud and one count of money laundering each of which carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison so if he gets the worst of it it's like 40 years in prison uh if he if he the worst possible I, i can't imagine that he would get the worst of it um and so but this is what like crypto twitter and just everyone has really been alarmed about serious. is that it's a super serious yeah like the guy has to actually like hire a lawyer to not go to jail for sixty seven thousand dollars of like front running retail and like again it's he shouldn't have done that that was a stupid thing to do also D- completely definitely dishonorable guilty. and it's super guilty unethical of, of we- 40 years of jail time though <laughs> it seems like i don't know i mean definitely a crime but like now you have mm-hmm. to ask yourself does the crime fit the the, the punishment of course we don't right. know what the final punishment will be but just the fact that like the maximum sentence is 40 years potentially in prison for doing this i mean mm-hmm. like all sorts of people in crypto front run other people all of the time based on insider information it just happened that right. nate was actually caught doing it from a right. twitter thread that's how bizarre mm. this is. This just feels like uh, he's getting Ross Ulbricht. Again, he hasn't been charged. And so he might just like not, this might actually turn into a nothing burger, but everyone's being very alarmist as to what this could turn into where they could make an example out of Nate Chastain and say like- That's what they're trying to do, right? Make an example. They're, perhaps, What they're yeah. trying to say is, is hopefully, which is good, which is insider trading is not okay in crypto. Right, right. The if fact you that have he was put into handcuffs and arrested for $60,000 of front running uh, is a little a little egregious. Uh, there's a way better ways to like solve this grief, this grievance. Um, and so like what I'm worried about is that he actually does go to jail for like a really long time, kind of like how Charlie Shrem did. Charlie Shrem, he's like, he was faced with like a lifetime in prison. So he took like a plea deal and spent like three years in jail or something. Uh, Ross Ulbricht uh, was not able to get out of like a double life sentence. So he is still in jail. Uh, and so like this is, this is like the red flag that people are worried about is like, do they just make a case out of this individual as a warning shot to the rest of the crypto industry uh, to like, you know, tough, like get your shit in order. Excuse me. Do you think everyone at centralized exchanges right now is just like sweating bullets? Probably. Like they're just like, 
Yeah. I mean, they're going to have to button things up for sure. Bigly. And, right. you know, compliance is going to be a big issue. The thing I love about DeFi, at least when you get into kind of the, the permissionless uh, levers of DeFi, is because no one decides, no one is a gatekeeper mm-hmm. on what asset gets listed on something like right. uh, Uniswap. A- anyone can list an asset at any time. There is actually no such thing as front run uh, information about which right. asset is going to be listed because right. anyone at any time has the ability to spin up an asset. Mm-hmm. That to me is the world that we are trying to get to, a completely permissionless world where there is no insider information. Yep. Everyone knows at the exact same time because there are no gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. Uh, OpenSea is not that, right. of course, because they're kind of a, call them a web 2.5 right. type of a company. centralized in front between. end with a decentralized back end. Exactly. And so there is actually insider information as far as what NFTs might might hit the uh, the front page with a Coinbase or an FTX. It's also which assets are we going to list? That's information that can be traded on. And in those cases, David, it does make sense to have regulators, um, you know, take a peek and enforce this sort of thing. Now, um, again, here, 40 years is absolutely crazy mm-hmm. for uh, for this kind of uh, event. But we'll, we'll have to see, and we'll f- be following the case on Bankless. Um, here's a hilarious meme, though, that I think sums yeah. things up. What is this, David? Yeah, Doge Toshi tweets out, uh, crypto Twitter VCs right now, excuse me, crypto VCs right now. And this is a scene from uh, Kevin from The Office. I actually don't remember the scene, uh, but uh, Kevin is saying, I had Nate explain to me three, uh, three times what he got arrested for because... It sounds an awful lot like what I do here every day. Uh, so pretty big knock on VCs and crypto. And of course, not all VCs are bad. Some VCs are very bad. Uh, but yeah, using privileged information that the rest of the market doesn't have to front run opportunity. Um, use well, the word, isn't we, that the line we say at the we beginning We use the of word front run opportunity, but we're talking about like <laughs> buying Ether before the TradFi does. Like, So that's not insider information. This is... This is this, I think this meme though does sum up like what is actual front running? Right. What is actual like insider training? Right. What does that actually mean mm-hmm. in crypto? And I think a lot of that has to be defined. But right. certainly where there are centralized vectors, um, where there is less like where there, there are permissioned gatekeeping, that sort of thing has the potential to expose uh, front running as we've seen in kind of equities market. But like the more diffuse we can make this information, the more transparent, the more on chain, the less ability anyone has to kind of front run or do insider trading because we can all be there. No one has informational advantage. There's no informational arbitrage. Everyone gets access to it at the same time if you are like watching the chain. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that is the world we are looking to get to. But it does call into question what front running actually is and what insider trading actually is. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, wish the best for for Nate Chastain, even though he did uh, commit a crime. Uh, I hope he doesn't go to jail. I hope he just has to pay a fine. The thing is, like on the blockchain, he could literally just pay the people back. Like there is, he could there is verifiable people as like who he sold those NFTs to at the marked up price, and he can just pay them money. Uh, that makes much more sense than going to jail. Uh, anyways, that wraps up that. Guys, we got so much more left to talk about. We've already gone on for so long. Coming up next in the second half of the show, Nate Kanye West enters the chat. 
Uh, so we'll talk about what Kanye West is doing with Yeezus.eth. And also the fight over the apes. Ethereum layer two is going head to head with alternative layer ones as to where the apes need to migrate to because they've determined that they need to migrate off of the Ethereum layer one. As we've said, migrate off of the Ethereum layer one. All of that stuff and more coming up right after we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. All right, guys, we're back. I want to start with some merge updates. This, of course, is the Ethereum merge, the biggest event uh, we expect of this year. Uh, Robston was just announced. David, what are we looking at here? What is the the announcement? This is a, a, an Ethereum merge testnet, and it looks like that is moving along. What was the milestone that was hit this week? Yeah, so we have a bunch of testnets around the Ethereum ecosystem. There's Robson, there's Gorley, there's a few others whose name escaped me at the moment. And each one of those is going to go from proof of work to proof of stake as Ethereum in the future will. Uh, and each one of those is gonna have its own like merge, its own like, uh, practice merge. So Robston is getting merged the 8th of June. Then there's going to be like uh, two, to, if everything goes well, two to three weeks for the next one, which is going to be Gorley, I believe. And then two to th uh, two to three, maybe more weeks for the next one, which is Seplo. Yeah, I didn't even know that that was a testnet. Um, uh, Coven's also coming up. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so June 8th, the first uh, major Ethereum testnet merges. Uh, and then we have a few more testnets after that. And then we uh, actually merge. It's, it's in a race right now to beat out the Ice Age coming in late August. Uh, and so there is conversation about how if we get do get to late August, we are going to have to hard fork without the merge to cover, to get the transaction fees from the Ice Age back down to 12 seconds because 20 seconds might become untenable. Um, it's actually like almost having the total uh, block space supply of Ethereum at that point. Uh, and so um, I think merge the big question still is, up in the air. are we yeah. still going to do, I think the big question is, are we still going to do August? Is that still in the cards? And I'm going to say from like last week to this week, I think the probability uh, of hitting August has mm -hmm. decreased, yes. at least in my mind. Maybe like yes. last week I was thinking, okay, 80%-ish. Uh, mm -hmm. Now it's probably down to like 50%. And I'm thinking more of a September, no, like September, October, November kind of time uh, horizon because right. they're still having some issues with shadow forks. Um, we'd hope that that would be done right by now, but there's still some additional testing that that needs to be done. So I wouldn't be surprised if it slipped into uh, September, October, maybe November. What are your What's your take here, David? Yeah, that that sounds about right. Each each merge represents a variable. Uh, and so it's, it's, yeah, the variables stacked on variables, uh, still feeling good, uh, about September at least. Um, but we keep on kicking it out now, don't we? Are we there yet? Are we, Are we there, there yet, yet, Vitalik? Are we there yet, Vitalik? <laughs> Vitalik, please. Um, anyways, that's that. Not too much more details than that. As each, uh, test line gets merged, we'll have more and more details as things go along. Um, all right, uh, Pooley update. Pooley, yeah, this is the uh, the latent latent QSAC is getting sued because of the whole like five dollars into pool together turning into a quarter billion dollar lawsuit. Chris Dixon from A16Z goes, we just bought a 75 ETH Pooley judge to support latent QSAC and, and pool together. Uh, again, this is an attack on pool together, but it's actually an attack on DeFi, which means it's an attack on you personally. Uh, if you have not minted a pool together to uh, a Pooley to help support pool together against their egregious, frivolous lawsuit uh please do that there's a link in the show notes you know a16z is the only 
uh, crypto VC to have minted a pulley. Look, man, I, I think they deserve a hand clap for that. And they do. Um, I saw, I'm so sorry, Chris. I don't have my soundboard. I triggered the applause button, but just, here's, just here's a, the applause. Just a manual. Well done, uh, Chris. Good job, A16Z. Yes. I, I hope some other VCs step up and, and do this. This is definitely right. how we support uh, support this industry and support DeFi. And mm -hmm. so far, David, it looks like they've pulled together NFTs have raised close to 500 ETH. Uh, yes, you know, that number's actually old. They, that, they've uh, raised like 580 ETH, I believe. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so they said the goal is to raise about $1.5 million of ETH and it looks like they're doing that. So, uh, well, that's no, great they, news. they still, they still got a lot, a um, lot more to go. They have raised 515 ETH at $937, uh, $37,000. They're looking for $140,000. So they have like almost $500,000 left to go. So we still need help. Still need to help. Uh, you're, you're thinking that ETH is still going to be below 2000. So I'm calculating that ETH is going to be 3000. I'm not. And you just, that. you just make the difference. <laughs> that's all we have to do. And the devs We've do already something. raised it guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Kanye West getting into NFTs. At least mm -hmm. he's filing trademarks for NFTs, you mm -hmm. know, and I think this is kind of interesting because the last I heard from Kanye West and NFTs, he was actually like uh, pretty cold on it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he put out a uh, Instagram message, just like a handwritten message saying something knocking NFTs. My focus okay. is on building real world products in the real world. Um, and about NFTs, he said, ask me later. So he's, he's previously been pretty cold on NFTs, mm -hmm. although he deleted this Instagram post. Did and he? now it looks I saw like- that, I saw uh, that earlier this morning. Click on that link. Yeah, it's deleted. Oh yeah, he did delete that. That's weird. Yeah, he deleted it. So a little cold on NFTs saying, hey, no, I'm, I'm gonna focus easy stuff on the real world, but now filing a whole bunch of uh, trademarks, it looks not, like. Not only that, but he also bought Yeezus.eth, Ryan. He bought Yeezus.eth for four ETH. Uh, wow. So that, yeah, for that, four ETH? That's for it? For four ETH, yeah, right? Well, four ETH, I mean, that's, a, that's a lot of ETH, dude. <laughs> I mean, but it's Yeezus.eth. I mean, what's it worth to Kanye? It's got to be uh, worth more than four ETH to this guy. Well, yeah, but the guy who, oh, excuse me, five, five ETH. Uh, I mean, the, the seller probably didn't know he was selling it to Kanye West. Actually, unde undetermined as to whether this is Kanye West. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, we, we actually don't actually know don't that. Know that. So Yeezus.eth got purchased for five ETH. Um, okay, we don't anyways, know, we don't know we don't whether know Kanye West has it or yeah. not. Uh, maybe he doesn't. When Zachary Dash uh, makes a funny, funny tweet, uh, retweeting this news, he goes, Web Threesis. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, I think NFTs are just prime for somebody like uh, Kanye West. It's very mm -hmm. much all about like, kind of the brand. And so I fully expect uh, Kanye to enter the uh, the metaverse, as with all of the other luxury brands mm -hmm. uh, out there. So uh, only a matter of time. So, David, uh, update me on this. There's a lot of talk these days right. about liquid staking derivatives, LSD. I guess. Mm -hmm. And this is coming from uh, some concern, some fear that Lido actually has a uh, large distribution of all of ETH stake. It's over 30%, I believe, mm -hmm. at this point in time. And so this is Danny Ryan writing an entire post on why liquid staking derivatives cannot safely exceed consensus thresholds. What is the discussion going on in, uh, in the Ethereum sphere about this? Yeah, basically, if a staking derivative token, which we assume all future staked ETH will likely be a part of a staked ETH derivative token, that's Lido staked ETH, that's Locket Pool's RETH and all the future ones that are coming. Uh, if there is just too much centralization inside of one single token, and the way that that can emerge is like instead of you, maybe you have dollars and you go, but you want to have upside to staked ETH. 
instead of to buying those Rs to buy ETH to go stake that ETH, you can just go to Uniswap and buy our ETH on Uniswap or staked ETH on Uniswap. Uh, and, and you're probably going to buy the most liquid one because that's what you want, the one with the most integrations in Aave. You want to like have financialization around your staked ETH. Uh, and so you just buy the most liquid one. And that has like uh, positive Power feedback. Law. Yeah, po positive yeah. feedback loops. Like it can just like uh, the MEV, if the more and more stake you have, the more and more MEV you can get. And so the like, yields will be higher on the one with a monopoly. Uh, and so Danny Ryan wrote, writes this post, risks of LSD, liquid staking derivatives. Uh, and he just makes a claim that if a liquid staking derivative protocol exceeds critical consensus thresholds, which are at one third, one half and two thirds, uh, each crossing each threshold enables powers to that organization, be it Lido or Rocket Pool or whichever organization gets too successful, uh, it kind of gives them control over Ethereum. Uh, and so he makes a post uh, uh, illustrating all of the risks here. And, and basically, we cannot allow any liquid staking derivative token to get larger than one third. And Lido right now is at like 32%. Uh, I did a, an episode with uh, Superfizz uh, from the Rocket Pool slash our ETH, uh, ETH finance community. It's coming out on Tuesday if you want to hear more about this. Uh, I'm not necessarily worried in the long term. There's yet to be a problem that Ethereum, uh, the Ethereum community hasn't solved, although it does need direct attention. Uh, so I wrote uh, a tweet uh, right before we did this. Lots of clamoring about Lido state ETH dominance lately. Staking as a service apps, are, uh, there's a few staking as a service apps come that are yet to come to market. Swell Network, Obel, Alluvial, which got uh, announced at Permissionless, plus Rocket Pool, I think is about to see a lot of inbound ETH. Still very early in the competition landscape for staking derivatives. However, we do need to ensure that the a monopoly of staked ETH derivative tokens do, does not emerge. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there's a lot of more competitors that are about to enter the game for sure. Also, like once withdrawals uh, happen, that'll totally right. describe it as like shake up the snow globe and, and things will, will mm -hmm. uh, settle down after that. Um, I do think the answer to Lido having too much stake is actually for competitors to emerge. Right. And um, also, I think there's some interesting answers in the form of things like Obel Network mm -hmm. that allow some, you know, the sharing of staked private keys and can add some additional resilience and additional decentralization right. a bit like earlier in the stack, more like closer to the client level, closer to the protocol level. Mm -hmm. and. That cryptography has not yet emerged, but I think, David, we'll probably be doing some stuff with Obel in the yeah. future where we talk about this technology called Shared Secret Validator Technology, mm -hmm. SSV, which is super important and yet to really emerge. I think it'll it'll help some of this. So it's still very early. There's lots of clamoring. I am concerned about it, but I'm not, uh, I'm not at the stage where I think this is a long-term existential risk. Uh, I do think as a community, the technology is a cryptography that's going to emerge. And uh, like, we'll have to just let these things settle before we uh, hit the panic button too yeah. hard on this. Yeah, I definitely agree. There's uh, the Ethereum auto, or the Ethereum immune system is definitely showing up to like tackle this problem head on. Uh, uh, SSV also, I think it's been rebranded as DVT, Distributed Validator Technology. Um, uh, is definitely very, very promising to help democratize some of the monopoly power that a monopoly staked ETH derivative token might, um, might have. Anyways, moving on to the fight over the apes. Uh, so we have two competing blockchains submitting proposals to the ApeCoin DAO uh, to have the uh, have Ape the Ape ecosystem be onboarded to a particular blockchain. This so is here, the board apes you're talking this about. This is board apes, yeah. So the other side mint of the the virtual land clogged Ethereum. They also had a very unoptimized like NFT contract, a bunch of failed transactions. Uh, so on the heels of that, uh, Avalanche comes to the ApeCoin DAO and submits their proposal for the.
the other side and metaverse to become an avalanche subnet. And so uh, they make the proposal, uh, do all their incentives. Here's like all the things that we can give you. Uh, and an the avalanche subnet is kind of like an avalanche side chain, as I understand it. Yeah, yeah. With the they, bridge, built the avalanche bridge. ecosystem uh, says these are competitors to layer twos, but that triggers the Ethereum community because like they're just fundamentally different constructions with weaker split security. Uh, and so like where Ethereum layer twos share Ethereum security, avalanche subnet split avalanche security. Uh, and for the security maximalists and decentralization maximalists out there, we don't really like that. Um, and so, but Avalanche, anyways, they come and say, hey, uh, make your uh, ape ecosystem, your ape DAO, an Avalanche subnet. Uh, and so that's one blockchain competing for for uh, the Ape ecosystem. And the other is Immutable. Immutable X has also submitted a proposal to ApeCoin's DAO, trusted layer two scaling partner. Uh, and so we got two blockchains fighting for the ApeCoin. Uh, and there, the links in the show notes are going to the uh, will be in the forum posts. Uh, so if you want to see this firsthand about the reactions to to this, you can go into the comments and scroll down. Uh, the the brief time I, I scrolled down and, and read the comments, the Immutable proposals were very very overwhelmingly positive. Uh, and then the avalanche were extremely conflict, uh, constricted and controversial, kind of what you would expect if you're a decentralization maxi. So this, I like what I see uh, because again, immutable is a DK rollup on top of Ethereum, doesn't compromise on security. Uh, avalanche kind of kind of compromise on security ecosystem. That's uh, why I kind of resist What's that. What's kind of cool to you is like Ethereum has never done marketing well or like business right. development very well. Like it mm -hmm. can, it's a protocol. Like how does TCPIP do marketing or business right. development, right? And Ethereum right. is much more in the vein of TCPIP versus like a mm -hmm. company. Uh, it's something that alternative layer ones have done very well. Like they do mm -hmm. good outreach, good partnerships, good business development. Uh, and so that's that's why you're seeing Avalanche in these governance forms like fighting for market share. But it's funny because layer twos do not have that restriction. So many of these layer twos are becoming Ethereum's marketing and business development arm and onboarding arm, essentially. So it is back to something we were saying that people uh, didn't believe so much last year is that many of the alternative layer ones are going to find themselves not competing with Ethereum directly. They're going right. to find themselves competing with layer twos. And here's an example right. of that. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Avalanche and, um, and Immutable competing mm. for the board apes in these governance forum posts. And uh, you can see in the forum post, like Avalanche has like, hey, we have this $290 million incentive program. Uh, Immutable is like, yeah, we raised $200 million. We also have our incentive program. Uh, and so like, you know, the, this is the Ethereum application layer fighting for the best interests of the Ethereum protocol. Uh, which I think is just fantastic. Hal Press, uh, he tweets out, both AVAX and uh, Avalanche and Immutable have made proposals to move ApeCoin to their chain. Community response could not have been more different. This is the comments I was talking about. Strongly against the Avalanche and pro the Ethereum layer two. Interesting that users would rather have assets backed on Ethereum layer two than an alt EVM chain. Uh, again, uh, if you are curious to see the response for yourself, uh, you can go to the link in the show notes and review the comments. We got more, David. What are we looking more, at here? More alt layer one things. Uh, this is uh, the Twitter, the Twitter account Solana status. Block production on the Solana mainnet beta has halted. Validator operations should prepare for a restart in MB validators on Discord. So Solana down once again, closed for business hours. Uh, take from Frog Monkey goes. Validators check Discord is the most janky ass Web three shit I've read all day. What happens when Discord goes down to lol? 
and so, yeah, it's consensus by Discord channel, not the best version of consensus. Uh, and so I tweeted this out. I was like, if people are starting to make memes about Solana being down, it's starting to get pretty bad. And so there, here's the Solana is down starter pack. Solana main net beta intermittent issues. Validators, please come to the dis Discord. It was a simple software bug that in no way reflects badly on our design choices. Not down, blocks just delayed indefinitely. Engineers are investigating, update your nodes now. Nakamoto coefficient. If you're not following uh, the Solana leaders on, on crypto Twitter, uh, you might not get some of these jokes. Um, but yeah, memes memes about Solana being down is not exactly what you want to see. Yeah, and look, I think that there's uh, there's some necessary accountability. I mean, they Solana is saying it's a layer one. It's also saying it's in beta, but it's like a multi like many billions of dollar uh, beta, right? Most With a lot of applications depending on it. And uh, like the one thing that layer one chains are supposed to do is stay up, maintain censorship resistance and uh, maintain uptime. And if it's mm -hmm. not doing thing these things, then I do think the crypto community is right to sort of call it out mm -hmm. uh, and uh, ra raise attention, raise awareness. I mean, a lot of people didn't do that with uh, the Terra ecosystem and kind of look what happened, right? It really cost the space over the long run. So right. uh, we're gonna continue to, to talk about these things uh, because we think they're important. But yep. David, another thing we're gonna continue to talk about every single week is a job get a job but we want you to get a job in crypto absolutely there, there's companies that are hiring even at a faster clip there has right. been no uh decrease in the amount of jobs on our job boards i'm going to read a few out to you a tech lead at swell network david that's is a that staking one of those? as a service co uh, company a that's what i thought a tech <laughs> lead at swell network uh solidity developer at unlocked senior product designer at streams a business development lead goldfinch marketing manager wanderverse so many of these positions were non-technical already david an associate business operations Chainlink labs a developer evangelist at argent there's so many more go sign up to receive these jobs in your inbox the bankless.palette.com jobs also you haven't done this do this go submit your resume make these projects come to you for the talent we have a talent collective where you can go do that a lot of energy in the bankless talent community these days david i think there was like a twitter spaces earlier this week about this yeah do you know how many people went to so the talent collective team at bankless uh jo joni and, and michael hosted a twitter space to that with some other companies in the space all about just like kind of a job workshop like how to get a job in web3 how to stand these out were like as a, employers as yeah employers part of the right. panel yeah right. part of the twitter spaces and so you, did you know do you know how many people came up to that twitter space ryan like how many people showed up how many tell me 1500 showed up what? in the twitter space i shit you not dude like 1500 people That's so there fantastic. are 1500 people who showed up for basically what is like a virtual career day a twitter job fair a twitter job fair yeah <laughs> uh and so again the job market is hot like that tech lead out of swell network 100 to 200 thousand dollars a year that's a nice paycheck yeah. Uh, and so like, yeah, I know Gemini's laying off people, but like, again, the newer people, the newer projects are hiring and they're hiring bigly. Absolutely. So make sure uh, you get in on this if you're interested in working in Web3 and, and why wouldn't you be? David, a few releases we got to cover. Number one, did you see this? The Bankless DAO, good old Bankless DAO, they just released the Global Tax Guide. All right, I love that they did this. This is Do a global hear tax dive. Enthusiasm in Ryan's I'm voice so right excited. now. <laughs> Man, is this the most? Why didn't we lead with this in the roll up? I'm sure. We big news tripled, of the week. Triple views. Yeah, big news of the week. Right ahead of the optimism airdrop. Yeah, forget about the airdrop. All right, the global tax guide from Bankless DAO is here. This is the most up to date information from the U.S., the U.K., Portugal, Spain. 
Australia, Poland, Russia, Brazil, Germany, a whole bunch of other jurisdictions. So it's international. Again, something that Bankless HQ could have never written. Did right. you see this? You know how to get this guide? Yeah, you mint it. That's you minted awesome. NFT. Dude, you minted the, NFT. Dude, the DAO's kicking ass right now. Look at this, man. Look yeah, they also, are, of course, uh, they also have some art to go with it. <laughs> IRS filings that are like scribbled uh, over. Man, I want to no. make this bigger and actually see this. <laughs> You're going to have to click uh, the on features one, I think. Out. Some of these are hilarious. Uh, anyway, go check out the, um, the global tax guide if you are, um, I don't know, thinking about taxes <laughs> wondering where actually, you should go actually next. if you're thinking about taxes you might not need to mint a tax guide if you are not <laughs> thinking about taxes you might need to go mint that's the tax so guide. true that's so true you probably need this or at least get your cpa on this or something yeah. Yeah, uh david give it a present for your cpa <laughs> another um man every single week we've had more wallets, wallets. to announce yeah. and this is a wallet from uh zirion zirion mm -hmm. of course is a fantastic DeFi aggregator it's kind of like a mission control center for all of your DeFi wallets and mm -hmm. they've just released a mobile wallet right. i don't know all the details but i think this thing oh, I've is got a, the details ryan it's it's non-custodial right mm -hmm. so that's good mm -hmm. so it's still bankless mm -hmm. um but what else does this puppy do Oh God, the, here, here it goes. I'm going to run through this. Smart trade routing through every major decentralized exchange. Multi-chain support for 10 uh, networks, including Solana, when it's up, Polygon, Avalanche, <laughs> Arbitrum, Binance Smart Chain, Optimism, Gnosis Chain, others. DAP compatibility with Wallet Connect. You'll love to see it. Sign transactions on any Web3 app with your phone. Fiat on-ramps. We love Fiat on-ramps. Uh, Multi-seed phrase management. So you can have multiple seed phrases. Uh, and so we also love that. And also Xerion DNA, which is an NFT generated NFT that evolves with you as you use Web3. I'm, so I'm getting something like a um, uh, Tamagotchi pet or something, a Tamagotchi yeah. NFT that like grows up with you as your as your DeFi. As Web3 you do resume. like degen activity yeah, across right. your wallets, it kind of adapts and molds mm -hmm. to you. And of course, the, like Ryan said at the beginning, non-custodial, aka bankless. Do you think we can just like stop getting people to use the word non-custodial and start using the word bankless? Do you think we'll be? Oh uh, yeah, like, it's just, we released a bankless wallet. That'd be amazing. I think you guys yeah. should do this, Sirian. The, yeah. the other thing is, this is all mobile first, mm -hmm. which is fantastic because we need some more mobile wallets uh, rather than just uh, browser extensions. Mm -hmm. Here's a um, another release this week is Volts yeah. Protocol. What are these guys doing? Yeah, Volts Protocol, interest rate swap mechanism, which is apparently a, like a bajillion dollar total addressable market. Uh, Bajillions of bajillions. bajillions. It's so big. Yeah. Yeah, the, and we're not joking. Three hundred. The actual number is three hundred seventy-two trillion dollars uh, in the in the world is uh, interest rate swaps uh, because this has to do with bond markets, right? Bond market yields, uh, and and people can like control and hedge their interest rates. Blah blah blah. Anyways, uh, Volts Protocol live on mainnet alpha launch uh, a cap of one million dollars per pool, uh, so it might actually already be full, but full. But they uh, trade. You can trade rates with leverage, so you can trade interest rate deviations with leverage. Uh, and earn market neutral yield and also build the future of finance, they tweet. Uh, and so uh, the, this is also the, the, the DAO um, that uh, lobbied Uniswap governance to allow them to use Uniswap V3, the Uniswap V3 license. Uniswap V3 license is controlled by the Uniswap DAO for like three years or something. So Volts gave the Uniswap DAO something like 1% of tokens to be able to use the Uniswap V3 code inside of the, of the DAO. So pretty cool. This kind of stuff is going to be great for uh, something we talked about last week, which was like the determining what the um, uh, ETH staking yield curve is going to be in the mm -hmm. future, right? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's why that's why uh, interest rate swaps are such a large market in the traditional space, like mm-hmm. three hundred and seventy trillion dollars, just the most massive derivatives market in existence. And now, as we've said so many times, David, we are speed running the history of finance. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know, we're the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, at least getting these uh, interest rate swap derivative markets up and going on DeFi. I think this is going to be an absolutely ma- massive sector, and it's just getting started. This is the part of the story is the financialization of Ether, the asset, and all the other yield on Ethereum. But like the one yep. that we really like is Ether, the asset. So that is becoming more and more financialized. Volts Protocol is doing that. Uh, I'm talking with Simon, the founder of uh, Volts Protocol, to come on an Alpha Leak episode uh, so we can explain this thing in depth because this is like beyond my brain for comprehension. Um, so that episode will come out sometime soon. Uh, DeFi Saver as well. They've just announced they are live on Arbitrum and Optimism. So they are alive on both the optimistic rollups. If you haven't used DeFi Saver, it's just a way not to get liquidated. It's kind of like it wraps up your your loan, whether it's an Aave loan or whether it's a maker loan, and it makes sure that you don't get uh, liquidated. And uh, you know, the DeFi Saver team was really key. Do you remember in March 2020? And all of those CDPs and ETH dropped to like $80. So many people mm-hmm. were getting uh, liquidated. Uh, DeFi savers saved countless uh, mm-hmm. millions of dollars, count- countless liquidations from many of its community. And they've just been continuing to build. So I-, I really love what this team is doing. It's a really useful product. If you haven't checked it out, go to DeFi Saver and see what they're up to. Or just with those new optimism token tokens and the new ex- exploration that you're doing on layer twos, you can go see it on uh, Optimism and Arbitrum as well. Uh, David, what else we got, man? We got protocol fees from Immutable. Uh, so pro- protocol fees are live. Of course, every single blockchain needs to charge fees. If they don't, something is up. Uh, so uh, as a res- uh, Immutable has announced that their protocol fees are live. This is, and they tweet out, this is the final step before launching IMX staking and will be will allow the next generation of Web3 games to reach planet scale with cheap, reliable, and incentive-aligned pricing. Uh, link in the show notes. Um, but if you're into the whole immutable ecosystem, uh, the IMX staking is what, what you're excited about. And so with protocol fees, when you actually stake your IMX, you actually get the fees. Uh, that is the idea there. That's awesome. Uh, on the regulatory front, there's some things happening. So uh, Senator Cynthia Lummis, she has just released a full draft, a very early preliminary draft of a landmark crypto bill. And of course, she in, in, in the past has been, she's a senator who's been very crypto friendly. So it's good uh, that this is coming from her. Uh, an early draft was was sort of leaked and uh, the block did a report on that. And you can you can look at the 70 page draft if you want. Uh, <laughs> oh, Lummis yeah. has right said, after this. <laughs> yeah, like, but Lummis has said it's, it's not the full draft, right? It's just something preliminary. It's changing a lot. And so the real announcement is going to come on on June 7th. So it's coming right up. But I think one of the things that it I hope it does, and it seems like it's going to do, I've not read all 70 pages, David, is uh, add some clarity as to where the CFTC starts and stops and what jurisdiction the SEC has. And that's really what we have wanted from our legislators uh, all along in the US and in other jurisdictions is just give us some clarity, okay? Like uh, we don't actually know what the laws in, uh, in, in the country are pertaining to crypto, whether it's tax clarity or whether it's you know, commodities and securities clarity, that's what we're looking for. So hopefully this injects some of that and hopefully it's not uh, something that would squelch, but it's something that would 
uh, foster innovation in, in the US if, if this sort of thing passes. So TBD, wait for the seventh, wait until after, until this gains uh, some more steam. And then of course it has to actually get through the Senate, which is maybe prop the hard part in the Senate and the House before it actually becomes a law and you know Biden's signature and all of these things. So we're a long ways out, but uh, something is happening. Yeah, we are fighting the fight. Uh, and so thank you, Cynthia Lemus, for, for making sure that fight gets fought in, in Capitol Hill. All right, one big raise of the week, and it is indeed a big one. Binance Labs closes $500 million fund to focus on Web3 and blockchain adoption. Pretty run-of-the-mill headline, $500 million. That is a large number. So Binance Labs funding more shenanigans. I uh, love to see it. Cool. <laughs> Guys, there's uh, a lot more we want to cover. First of all, questions from the nation, our new favorite segment that we end with. There's at least two questions that we've heard from the bankless community that David and I will attempt to answer. And then some hot takes from crypto Twitter, as usual, including this take, no one actually understands the Ethereum merge. Mm -mm. kind of agree with that, but we'll mm -mm. dig into all of that when we get back. Before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. And we're back. Questions of the week. If you want to get your question into the questions of the week, every Wednesday, a tweet goes out of Bankless asking, do you want to get your question of the week into the question of the week? So that is what you respond to. Uh, we prioritize questions with the most likes, also the slightly ones that are also the most interesting. And so this is that segment, questions from the nation. Frog Monkey asks, will an eventually uh, L2 slash L3 world reduce demand for mainnet block space? What does this mean for demand for ETH and uh, supply? And also EIP 1559. Uh, and so I've uh, answered this question in the form of another tweet that I found. Uh, and this actually came out of uh, the Bitcoin block size debate in 2016. Uh, and so this is a tweet of like, I think Texas highways or, or maybe China or something. And there is like, it is like a 20 lane highway going in both directions. There's lanes on lanes on lanes and they are all congested. And the idea, the concept here is something called induced demand, where if you increase the size of lanes, you will increase the just the usage of those lanes. So you don't actually scale anything. You're not solving traffic by making more lanes. You're just making more usage of those lanes. So, so people will just like have, will drive more cars. Uh, and so this concept of induced demand was at the very center of the block size debates of Bitcoin in 2016. Before Bitcoin, uh, the Bitcoin uh, block size wars uh, forked Bitcoin into Bitcoin with small block sizes, aka small lanes, and Bitcoin Cash with big block sizes, aka many, many, many lanes. Uh, and we all know what happened to the uh, Bitcoin Cash uh, versus Bitcoin. It was like been down only ever since. Uh, and so this is also at the heart of Ethereum scaling strategy. Rather than a scaling Ethereum at the layer one, we're going to make, instead of more lanes, more highways. Uh, more highways going in different directions uh, to route demand demand elsewhere around the layer one. So instead of inducing more de more demand at the layer one, uh, we just create layer twos, which keeps the layer one safe and secure. And so, Frog, to answer your question, what does uh, Ethereum like burning rate uh, do in a uh, layer two slash layer three world and demand for ETH? I expect, and especially as we we're talking about earlier, as layer twos become bigger and bigger and bigger, they're actually going to like bully people out of the layer one because they're going to price them out of the layer one. So it's the, it's the layer twos that are going to be these big, massive buses, these convoys of buses on the very, very low lane highway of the Ethereum layer one. But it's going to be transporting a lot of people because it's like buses or trains rather than individual cars. Uh, and so... Uh, and, and the adoption of layer twos is going to, in the same way that we saw Immutable X fighting for like uh, the board ape ecosystem, uh, 
like all these layer twos will create demand that Ethereum layer one will never have been able to do, like highways going into new cities that Ethereum layer one wouldn't have been able to build and attract more demand. Uh, and so I see layer twos slash layer threes as Ethereum increasing its surface area for the ultimate demand of that very small constrained block space at the layer one. Uh, and so uh, it is, they are not par parasitic, they actually are net generative because they enable new economic activity, new places to go uh, for the Ethereum layer one via routing to layer twos and layer threes. Anything you yeah, want to add to that, Ryan? Yeah, I, I would just say um, we're never going to have enough block space is the yes. thing. In the same way, we're ne you know, your computer will never have enough storage, enough mm -hmm. memory, enough processing power, because as soon as you get more storage, more memory, more processing power, uh, you will have applications that start to consume right. more of those things. Chrome. And <laughs> it's very much like, yeah, like Chrome, like Chrome tabs. I get a new <laughs> laptop and it, all it means is, uh, be, you know, so I could have more Chrome tabs. Uh, <laughs> and uh, all it means is like the apps on my laptop in the future are going to like continue to consume more system resources. Very similar to bandwidth too, right? Think of layer yeah. twos as like adding bandwidth to uh, trustless transaction space tr trustless block space that's really what we're doing and will the world ever have enough bandwidth no because we'll just create more we'll applications use that use yeah. more bandwidth yeah. and we'll continue to use it all i think that's uh, similar to what's going on here uh all right here's the next question david what do you think is one of the most useful use cases of ethereum that we we have not deep yet deeply discovered but that will be very big in the next 10 years so most useful use case of ethereum not discovered that will be very big within 10 years. What do you think, David? Yeah, so the funny thing is while we were prepping this agenda, Ryan and I came up with our answers in, independently and they were the same answer, which is how you know <laughs> that we're onto something. Uh, identity, verifiable credentials, uh, off-chain identity, decentralized identity. How do we get, like, it's, this is like non-financial use cases of Ethereum. How do we get like a, a self-sovereign identity system built into our crypto systems that can attest to who we are and what we do as humans in ways that is also private and secure. Uh, tomorrow, I'm actually recording with Vitalik Buterin and Evan McMullen uh, because we have a debate on our hands. And this is actually, Ryan, the first time I've actually disagreed with Vitalik about something. And I actually feel like I have the evidence to back it up. We're going to see how well I do. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to go for you, David. <laughs> I'm not the one debating, however. And I also, you, I also don't know if this is going to be a debate. We are literally going to just figure out what you do with a soulbound NFT versus an off-chain verifiable credential. Uh, and so uh, the, the, and to answer the question, uh, identity and decentralized verifiable credentials, rather than just like Harvard giving you your, uh, your credential of you graduated as a piece of paper, we can have, like a, Vitalik says, a soulbound NFT, or Evan McMullen, Evan McMullen says, an off-chain verifiable credential. How this emerges uh, is TBD. But there's a consensus on this is the next big thing in Ethereum is decentralized identity, credible attestations as to who you are, kind of like your DGEN score, um, just like, yeah, you have done the things and therefore you have this like a DGEN score is like a new Web3 version of like a credit score, right? Like you did all the DGEN stuff on Ethereum, like people have hired other people, like funds have hired people based on their DGEN score because it's an attestation of their experiences and who they are and like how, how well informed they are. Uh, and so... Like Bankless DAO is issuing a credential as you have been an active governance voter. Um, like 
compound saying you've kept your ETH in here for like over two years. Here's that credential. Like we can have a more illustrative like expression of our identity uh, with these types of credentials that can unlock use cases that we can't even dream of at the moment. Yeah, I think like if you if you zoom out and think about what uh, crypto does is it, these are just basically trust computers, trust machines, right? And so what sort of applications require trust? Well, number one, we uh, did the money thing. That's super important, right? Money requires, um, you know, some some level of decentralization, a trust computer in order to create on the internet. So we've done that. We've also done banking and, and kind of finance. We've also done, you know, property. Um, the next major thing that requires a trust machine, a trust computer, is identity. And that's the thing that we have yet to solve. Has not been a breakout use case at all for crypto yet, but we're starting to see that germinate. And that is going to be massively impactful, probably as as the uh, poster asks, a very big thing within the next uh, ten years that is not yet deeply discovered. If you know, I'd, I'd put, I definitely put a lot of money on identity being a breakout transformational use case. I don't know where the investment opportunities are in that. By the yeah. way, I think they're going to emerge. But as far as like transformational application that blockchain is is uniquely positioned to give us. Um, that's like a thing that is going to be absolutely huge. And mm -hmm. if you think about it, it's like, where do we get our identity today? Is passports that the nation state yep. issues, right? We are or given it to, by the government companies. to us. Exactly. They tell us what our identity is. Exactly. So we have to change that. And this is going to be very important for our digital freedom going into uh, as we continue in the 21st century. All right, man. Also, uh, I, I will say that uh, there are going to be like DeFi yield farming, for example, was a blowout use case in 2020. No one saw that coming. So in addition true. to identity, there's going to be like 17 other massive use cases that no one's going to see coming to. We just don't know what those are. Yeah, exactly. Uh, TBD. Um, all right, let's get to some takes for the week. Yep. This is a take from Foodbar. Do you, Foodbar, you want to read this? Yeah, Foodbar says, quote, the merge is already priced in. The market must be discounting execution risk. And then he more seriously follows up with, my friend, the market doesn't even know the difference between Ropston, which is an Ethereum testnet, and mainnet. Uh, and so that got that got a bunch of likes. Uh, this is after this market meditations Twitter account goes breaking. Ethereum merge scheduled for June 8th. Ah. No, that's the Robson testnet merge. Market uh, meditations. Right, I right, subscribed right. to that. What are they doing? Right. Mark Balin uh, follows up and says, laughed at this for a solid minute at the tweet and kept scrolling, but holy crap, you're actually right. This bear market is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, the degree that people don't know what the actual true details of the merge are, are is like, like I hope I hope Bankless listeners know because uh, like we've been hounding it for a very long time now. People that listen to Anthony Cesano on the Daily Way they definitely know. Beyond that, Ryan, I'm not yet convinced that many people know and understand what the magnitude of the merge actually is. I agree. Is. Well, it's it's bullish if uh, mm -hmm. you're front running the opportunity, aren't you? Not mm -hmm. in the yeah. Nate Chastain way. In the good way, in the way you <laughs> won't get arrested. <laughs> in the way where you're not going to get mm -hmm. arrested. This is what investors should be doing: is mm -hmm. front running this informational arbitrage that they have uh, by educating themselves. David, here's a tweet from Kevin Owaki. I feel like mm -hmm. he's laying out a, a new mental model for us. This is yeah. the Dow human actor trilemma. Uh, and what we're seeing is, of course, a like one of these famous triangles with a, mm -hmm. a trilemma pick here. And I want you to explain two. this yeah. uh, to, to us, but you have to choose two of three, either shared action, shared context, or shared consent. So all mm -hmm. of these things are shared, but can either choose shared action, shared context, or shared mm -hmm. consent, and I only get to pick two of these three. What is he talking about? 
Right, he's talking about DAOs and their difficulty of scale, and this is really the big DAO problem. Uh, Kevin Iwaki, big DAO thinker, kind of knows what he's talking about, definitely from experience as well. Uh, and so if you have shared consent, as in everyone in the community agrees uh, that this is the right thing to do, and you also have shared context as to why you are doing it, you are likely going to be missing shared action, which is going to be what he calls legitimate inaction, as in the choices are, that, are, that are being made are legitimate, but the direction that they're going in are illegitimate, as in like we got that wrong. Uh, and then you can combine shared action, as in like all the, all the DAO is working towards a shared goal, and also shared context as the reasoning why we are working towards that goal. So if you have those things, you have illegitimate action because you forgot to have shared consent, as in people made choices without the rest of the DAO. Uh, so then the risks for that are like what he calls consent debt, as in some parts of the DAO don't feel heard. People will fork off the DAO and make their own DAO. And then you can combine shared consent with shared action. Uh, and so everyone in the DAO agrees, everyone uh, in the DAO agrees where to go, but they are missing shared context. And so you have misdirected action, as in the DAO is agrees that they need to go somewhere, but they forgot to figure out the right direction to go towards. So share, and he goes, uh, shared context takes time, full context, harder in complex systems. And so this is like the trilemma of DAOs is like, it's really hard to get all three. It's not impossible, but uh, getting all of these uh, is very, very difficult. Yeah, this is, this seems like a problem because we either get misdirected action, which is kind mm -hmm. of bad in our decision-making, or we get legitimate inaction which is mm -hmm. bad because you're not actually doing anything, or right. you get illegitimate action, which is bad because a whole bunch of the community doesn't actually agree. Yeah, you so, are doing something, but people forgot to agree on it. Okay, well, I uh, you always hate presenting a problem without a solution. Does this thing have a solution right now? Uh, I think the solution is to follow Kevin Iwaki on Twitter and wait for him to figure it out. <laughs> We're experimenting with DAOs, right? right? Uh, mm -hmm. We're trying to figure out how to solve the trilemmas as we're solving other trilemmas in, in crypto. But I, I, I bet you think solve it with technology. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, DAO can tooling? you solve governance with technology? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You can share information more. better with with uh, technology. Yeah. These are. This is like the crypto way. It's like if we have a problem, we'll just write code until we fix it. I um, I do think you know the the point that we made on the Mark and Jason Chris Dixon podcast of like crypto speed running not only finance mm -hmm. but it's also speed running human governance right totally. I think uh, some of the things I've been doing is like looking back in history with like um, you know that book that book recommendation list that Mark and Jason recommended I've been mm -hmm. starting to go through that and like yeah. one of, one of the books on uh, his list is um, a conflict of visions and mm -hmm. it, like it goes through the history of like. Uh, all of these great philosophers and political thinkers in the past, like uh, the Godwins of the world and, and the Hobbes and the Rousseaus. And I've been probably underexposed to many of these thinkers, but it's so striking to hear them articulate like they're contemplating the best structure for a free nation state, right? Mm -hmm. And at the very early stages of the nation state, now here we are at the very early stages of, of right. the crypto digital nation and wrestling with many of these same problems, only with a slightly different context. So sometimes mm -hmm. it's it's helpful to actually go backward in time and, uh, you know, hear the original form right. posts <laughs> and listen to the original form posts and arguments of the, the philosophers because yeah there, there can be some answers there as well and i wonder if mm -hmm. we might find some yeah uh we've all we've been here before humanity has done this before
Totally. All right. Last tweet of the week. Uh, Anthony Cezana goes, Ethereum, EVM, 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 EVM. And he is tweeting out the daily transaction fees uh, on day one of David Michal's crypto fee site. And it goes, Ethereum, actually Ethereum, Binance, Smart Chain, Optimism, Arbitrum One, Avalanche, Polygon, which correlates to actually Ethereum, then EVM chain, EVM chain. It's all EVM. EVM chain, EV- it's, all, it's all EVMs all the way down. Uh, so I, I know people might call me an Ethereum maxi, but if you're going to do that, get it right and call me an EVM maxi because that's what that's the actual epicenter of the crypto world. Oh, really? You're an EVM maxi? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that what you are? EVM I'm neither, sir. Maybe. I'm neither. Yeah, you're a decent- decentralization maxi. Yeah, that's me. What are you bullish on, David? Same, same. <sighs> I am bullish. Well, first off, I'm very, very, very bullish on Brooklyn because I'm going there. I'm in this space between apartments, hence why there's a space background uh, this week. But this Sunday, <laughs> nice. I, I, go, I go out to Brooklyn. Uh, but overall, what I'm bullish on is just like the sheer amount of surface area that is coming onto Ethereum. We got the Optimism Layer 2 plus its token now. So like now it's real. Uh, we have like uh, Connects and Hop bridging between Arbitrum and Optimism and all the other Layer 2s. We have uh, the ZK rollups of Immutable, which have uh, is a Layer 2, but then there's Layer 3s on top of that. And so like GameStop is getting built on like a Layer 3 on Immutable. Uh, and so all of these things are going to create an, an insane amount of surface area, which is perfect for what we need in a, bit, in a build market, which is surface area to build on. Uh, and kind of like we were talking about, like Avalanche versus uh, Immutable, just surface area is onboarding area, surface area. So there's, uh, and so like also at the same time, we have so many protocols going live. We had Volts go live this week. We have like all these other applications go live this week. Uh, the amount of things that are going live over the next like 12 months is absolutely yeah. insane. Uh, and I know these because I'm talking to some of these founders. Uh, and so like, the, the the reason what I'm bullish on what I'm bullish on are you on, saying Ryan, it's the build market again? It's, it's the bu- it's it. build market, but no, like the beautiful thing about like all these protocols going live is like we have shit to talk about. <laughs> oh yeah, so I'm <laughs> bullish content. on like Bankless Podcast because there's so much left to talk about over the yeah. next year. I I kind of weren't we always talking about like hey when the next bull market uh, bear market comes we'll go take a vacation. I don't yeah. think that's going to be possible because <laughs> no, it's not like that. a bear market where it's quiet. Like, you know, in right. 2018 when people are right. just debating back and forth and there was yeah. some building. It's like there's so much to talk about because so right. much is getting built. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really a, yeah, it's different this time. This it's time different. it's different. This, this okay. It's different. There, there's a tweet that didn't make it into the takes. I think it was from Vance Spencer where like, you're not supposed to count your net worth from like, so like my net worth from the peak of the 2017 bubble to the peak of the 2022 bubble uh, was one number, but he's, he's, he tweeted out the, the actual thing that you should count is like your net worth from the bottom of the bear market to the bottom of this bear market. Oh, cool. Yeah, right? Like interesting, oh, okay. interesting perception, right? And when my net worth hit zero, so I'm up an infinity amount of percentages <laughs> <laughs> since the 2017. Anyway, some perspective there. Uh, but yeah, like this bear market Market different this time different i think that's time. a good take definitely yeah yeah ryan what are you bullish on uh i gotta say optimism what yeah. a fantastic airdrop right it's like mm-hmm. a second largest in history in terms of and like almost the first largest in history potentially first largest yeah mm-hmm. potentially and this does something that uniswap didn't do which is it incents the migration to layer two which means it's incenting more building incenting more um you know public goods incenting less congestion on mm-hmm. ethereum mainnet it's like actually solving the scalability problem that um that we've all wanted solved for a long time and it's like and it's here and it's working and man i've been just been using like optimism and you know mm-hmm. arbitrum 2 and other other layer twos and they just work really well mm-hmm. it's just like i'm blown away by how well all of this stuff works right. at this point in time and again back to the this time it's different 
Last time during the B market, all we had were vague promises of scalability. Okay, right. like there's this thing called state channels and the and rating plasma. network and like plasma and like loom and all of the and then sharding might be on the horizon, but uh, it was so distant. It was it was a lot of vapor to be honest. This time we actually have it. So I'm excited about that, David. And I'm excited about airdrop opportunities because I would far rather uh, communities start to give away this land right now uh, during the bear market when it's a bunch of settlers, not a bunch of liquidity uh, locusts that are jumping from chain to chain, like when it's relatively quiet and when the, the true community has stuck behind to actually um, start building on these things and, and settling on these layer twos. So I'm actually glad that all of these airdrops are happening now mm -hmm. because it's happening to, I guess I would say the true community and not the, uh, you know, the, the, the speculators and, uh, and, and the traders of the world. So, uh, optimism is here. Airdrops are here. Uh, layer two summer, even though it's happening during a bear market, it's better it's that still way. summertime. That's what I'm excited about. Yeah, <laughs> it's still summertime. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So that's oh it, man. God. You want to hop to the meme yeah. of the week? Meme of the week. Let's do it. All right. What are we looking at here? This is uh, your meme. I thought this was hilarious, but maybe for different <laughs> reasons than you did. Yeah. The, uh, this is like a CNBC poll like on Twitter and it goes, uh, is inflation infecting your family? So Americans were polled uh, and a hundred... Yeah, uh, is inflation affecting your family? And 122% of Americans said no, and 195% of Americans said yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. This is on CNBC? <laughs> I mean, no, this is, I'm pretty sure this is Photoshop. I'm pretty sure this is edited. <laughs> okay, so this wasn't actually, didn't actually happen. All right, the reason yeah. I think this is so funny is because it's just like, hasn't the world gotten so asinine where you like look at right. this and you can actually, like, this could be a poll that somebody runs? I don't know. <laughs> The 2020s oh, you, just this, feel... this was like, oh, like you actually didn't realize it was fake because the 2020s are just I surreal. I don't absurdist. know. Or it could be fake. Like the, the, the question of the 2020s is like whether it's fake or not, does it matter? Does it even right. matter? <laughs> it's like this, th there's just such an absurdist undertone to the, like the 2020s and all of our existing, uh, you know, structures and institutions are kind of eroding and becoming untrustworthy. Uh, so this question almost like the answer to this question almost makes sense. In the, in the <laughs> maybe i'm overanalyzing the meme david but like that's that's the way it hit me yeah yeah um no that, that that's right that's right that's all we got man hey next time are you gonna be in your new place when we do this roll up uh maybe i need to figure out uh i won't have a desk there yet uh but uh, okay. i could go buy a desk and then put it there so tbd tbd if, there, if there's a nice big brick background oh so if you don't have a desk though you'd like do it in a studio somewhere did you find uh that yeah place? yeah I'm, I'm subletting a friend's room uh so i'm ah, subletting okay. an apartment and so because that's where a bed is still don't have a bed but like i still have my apartment so i'm gonna put my yeah. shit in the apartment and we'll go from there so tbd awesome, man. all right so next week guys the first roll up uh david broadcast from new york city from brooklyn mm. uh, that'll be hitting you next week of course as always guys none of this has been financial advice eth is risky Crypto is risky. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. <laughs>